So Jen, what's the one thing as a kid that you just had completely wrong about sex or your bodies? Man, I don't know if it was wrong. I mean, there are so many good answers to that because I had so little information as an evangelical kid in the 80s. I think I was basically told, I, the, the, the story I was told about sex was sex happens when penises go and vaginas don't let anyone put their penis in you except for someday your husband and it'll be wonderful then. You know, like that was the whole story <laughs> that yeah. I got, which misses several key logistical points. Um, but I do remember I had moved to California and I had this friend who I was doing my math homework with every afternoon because we were in this advanced class and I was very nervous about like getting my homework right. And she had a boyfriend and um, she was like, we were taking a break and she told me some story about them making out. And she just kept talking about his boner. And I, for the life of me, could not figure out what the heck she was talking about. Mm -hmm. He had such a big boner when they were making out the night before. And I was like, and then finally I broke down and I was like, I don't know what that is. And she looked at me like I was like an alien from another planet, which I Aww. sort of was. I mean, I kind of was, <laughs> though. Like, she was like a secular teen. We were like in middle school. And then she finally told me. But I just remember, like, I was like, I am I do remember that moment being like, I am missing a lot here. Like, there is a lot going on that I I don't know about. What What about you? Do you have any memories of, like, either getting it wrong or not knowing or... Yeah. So I have to say, I think the scene that was missing in the Barbie movie was the big Barbie makeout scene because <laughs> right, didn't, didn't everybody have their Barbies, Barbies and the Barbies and the Barbies and the Kens and the Kens and the Kens. Didn't everybody make out with each other at some point? I, I think that's pretty normal. Yeah. And like I had a Barbie jacuzzi and a friend had the dream house. And so I, I'd gone to her house to play Barbies and, um, I had gotten in my head conflated um, pregnancy stuff with sex stuff. And so, um, and so we had our Barbies and Ken's and everybody um, making out and getting it on. And, and then, and then everybody got morning sickness the next day because in my head, that's what happened. And so like Barbies are ralphing all over the place. And all I could think to myself was, man, I hate throwing up. Like I can't, I just, why, why would anybody, why would anybody ever have sex? Because if you're just going to puke the next day, I just, I am not up for that. That would be a really creative sex deterrent. If we convinced, like if you were trying to get young people not to have sex to tell them that the next morning they were going to barf, like that would be man yeah I'm, gl I'm glad we got that sorted out one a two a one two
Welcome to the Sex Positive God Pod, where progressive pastors answer your sex and relationship questions. This is my friend, the Reverend Jennifer All. Jen is the co-pastor of Greenpoint Reform Church, where she co-pastors with her lovely wife, um, the Reverend Ann Cansfield. She's also a marriage and family therapist and a sex therapist, and she's so close to finishing her PhD in clinical sexology, and she's just one of the greatest people I know. Oh, thanks, Leah. This is the Reverend Leah Roberts Moser. She is a sex educator, a pastor of the Community United Church of Christ, which is located in the heart of the University of Illinois campus, Champaign Urbana. Uh, she is the originator of a biblical self defense for LGBTQ people, queering faith conference, and many other things. And I agree, you're a really wonderful person too. Yay. And, Yay. um, and we have to tell people that this is our last episode, not forever, um, but just, yeah, but just for this season. So um, this will be the 12th episode in season one. And then Jen and I are going to take a break. We're going to work on season two and we will have new episodes for you in June of 2024. Good way to celebrate Pride Month. Um, so do send in your questions. You can go to www. Um, sexpositivegodpod.com and submit your questions and we'll be putting together some new episodes. But for today, today, today is a pa the parent episode. Yeah. Parent. Today's for the parent. give you some examples of bad, uh, bad sex information. Hopefully this one will talk, our episode will talk a little bit more about some better ways to share information with young people. Okay. So I'm going to start with our first question. Yeah. Love the podcast. Need to do an episode on having the talk. The talk is in quote, double, you know, double quotes, all the talks, not just one with teenagers. I've been having to breach that one lately and made me think it would make a good topic. Most parents get weird about talking about sex with their teenagers and struggle to have that talk. And when they do, it's a jumbled, messy mess. And then it's never discussed again. All the talks, not just one, means opening a dialogue where hopefully your teen is never afraid to ask you, and it can be an open conversation anytime or how many ever times. Uh, let's see. Oh, I see. Okay. But breaching the sex topic is a whole different level. Just thinking about how many people have been royally effed up by repressive parents and religion, <laughs> not talking about it during the most important formative years. It's the, it's the biggest reason uh, you have to do this podcast. Well, thank you for thank you for affirming our podcasting. Um, you are a sex educator, Leah. What do you say? And I know that that part of your work as a sex educator is with younger people. So what what do you say uh, to this to this person that's written in? And so first of all, um, I'm I'm really glad that people want to know about this because. It's incredibly important. Um, and as this person said, like most of us get really weirded out and and um, and we sort of carry our own stuff into those conversations with our kids. Um, and so I would really encourage parents um, to sort of do their own work around this first um, and to set your own stuff aside. Um, and just figure out what best practices are and move forward, um, move forward with those. Um, you, you don't have to be weirded out about talking about 
bodies or sexuality with your kids. We all have a body. We all live in them. Um, just normalize it from the start. And I would say from the start, um, so I have some, some suggestions for people. First of all, have it has to do with words from the very beginning, start to use the, um, the right words for bodies. So call a penis, a penis, don't call it a ding dong or I don't know, whatever your, <laughs> whatever your go-to slang word is, um, refer to your, um, you know, refer to a vulva and a vagina. Um, uh, don't call it a front butt or whatever you're going to call it. And there's a reason for that. Um, we want to make sure that kids have accurate names for body parts, um, so that they can communicate about their own bodies, um, so that they can advocate for their own bodies. And you can start to do that from the time that they're babies, right? Whenever you're like giving them a bath or doing whatever. Um, so it, that's really important. Um, I think the second thing is to, um, from the time they're babies to emphasize bodily autonomy. Um, you're in charge of your own body. You get to make choices about your body. Um, and to encourage parents to encourage their kids to understand that their body is their body and it doesn't belong to anybody else. And that, um, and that there are parts of our bodies that are private. Um, they're for us. Um, I think the third thing would be to, um, talk about consent from a very early age. Um, mm -hmm. and I think the best way that parents can do that is don't force your kids to give somebody a hug if they don't want to give them a hug. Um, you know, like whenever you go to family, yeah. family things and, um, all these relatives that your kids don't know. And if you have a kid who is, you know, shy or, or, or just isn't in the mood to hug somebody that day. Don't force them to give, you know, great right. aunt Cecile a hug. It just, um, it, it really reinforces a wrong message. Um, um, no, go ahead. Well, and so I would say like, at this point, there are probably parents who are like, well, I've completely missed the boat on this because I haven't done any of those things. And now I have teenagers. And so what do I do? Um, and I, would encourage you to use what you've got. So if you're watching TV with your kids, if you're watching a movie um, and there's an interaction between people, um, talk about it, right? Like you're already talking about other things in this show. So ask, ask your kids, oh, do you, do you think they really like each other? Or, you know, if, um, if two characters jump into bed together, um, ask your kids, um, what do you think of that? Like, do you think that was, do you think that was a good choice on their part? Um, I, in fact, I can think of watching frozen with my kids whenever they were little. And, um, I love that there's a whole song in there about how she, you know, she falls in love at love at first sight. And it's so awkward and so wrong. Um, and that's the point of the song. Right. And so then we could talk about that. And I remember my kids being very, very tiny and saying things like, well, that's just silly mama. Of course you should get to know somebody before you fall in love with them. Y yes. Lovey. Good answer. <laughs> good answer. Um, and I was just thinking as you were talking about yeah. um, 
like the ways in which we communicate things, not just through words. So yes. like, I remember in my early sex therapy training, they were talking about the difference. This is talking to a couple, not teens, but I think it translates like if you're in the room with a couple to be like, so how's your sex life? And then when they make a very quick response, being like, great. And then moving on to the next topic, like you've technically asked them about sex, but you've communicated. I don't really want to talk about this. Yeah. So I think there is a way in which even if it's messy, you can communicate to your teens that like you do actually want to hear their thoughts on it or you yeah. do actually want to hear their questions. You could even be like, you know, I'm still kind of uncomfortable with this topic myself, but I think it's important. And like, you know, I want to hear what you have to say about it or the questions you have. I, I don't, I think there's a lot that you can communicate. I just think of the other end of the spectrum where the person's like, okay, now we're going to sit down and have this very formal talk about this. And it's, you know, and that doesn't really communicate to your kid that you want to hear what they, what they want to ask. Yeah. yeah. Um, that that's really good because, um, because having a messy conversation, I think is better than no conversation at all. Um, and so also then like reinforcing those positive messages that you have for your kids, you can talk with me about anything. Um, I promise, uh, I promise I won't get mad or, or alternatively, um, even, even if I get frustrated with you, I won't stay mad forever. Um, I promise like moms have feelings too. Dads have feelings too. Um, whatever it is, we'll work it out. Um, but, but also, you know, when they're, um, when your kids start, especially whenever they reach adolescence, I think saying to them, um, you know, are your, um, I, like, I always think it's interesting to ask, like, are your friends dating? What's going on with them? Hmm. How long have they been together? Um, and then, and then sort of broaching the topic that way, but then also just in the course of regular conversation about healthcare, you know, saying, um, when, whenever it is that you decide that you want to, you know, um, start having, you know, intimate sexual contact with people, um, we will get you condoms. We'll get you birth control. We'll get you, um, dental dams. We'll get you whatever you need. Um, just let me know you know, like you, every time you ride your bike, you wear a helmet. Well, if you're going to have sex, you need to have on the, the sex equivalent of a helmet. So talk to me and we'll make sure that you have what you need. I feel like the, the HPV vaccine, um, that now if you have young people, they just offer and they offer in my experience, they offered in the room with my children. Like they said, yeah. you know, this time we're going to have your measles vaccine. And next time the HPV vaccine, if your parents agree to that, that's like a clear, I mean, that's like a, <clears throat> a definite opening in the, like, this is taking care of yourself. And yeah. Um, I think one thing I want to highlight, the person that wrote in got one thing very right, I think, which is yeah. they pointed out that this is not a one-time conversation. They pointed out that this is a lot of conversations, yeah. right? Like, like anything that's, important. You're going to talk about it over time in developmentally appropriate ways. Somebody told me also once like that, that can freak people out. The idea of, of developmentally appropriate information, 
But mm-hmm. that generally speaking, if you somehow go a little over their head, they're just going to ignore it. You know, yeah. like if you if you talk about something and it's not where they're at, they're not going to be like scarred. They're just going to be like, I don't really know what they're talking about, whatever, and move on, most likely. Yeah. Um, but I think the idea that that it's a series of conversations over the course of their childhood also makes me feel better because that means if I feel like I don't do a great job at one of them, I have many other opportunities. It is not a one-time conversation that I have to get right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not, it's not one conversation that you have to get right. It's a, it is a series, just like you said. Um, also remember that, uh, that we talk in, in ways other than with words And so how you are modeling um, how to be in a relationship for your kids, that's going to speak so loudly to them. Um, I think it's really important for kids to see um, grownups being tender with each other and being loving with each other. And also for kids to, um, to see how we can disagree and come to a come to a a consensus about something and then and then move on um right like we we communicate in ways other than with words um and your kids are always learning from you um yep if um you know if you um if you're respectful um, of the person or persons who you are in a relationship with, then, then that's what your kids are going to normalize. Um, and that's really important. Um, it's really important because you don't, because you don't know what is not normal until somebody says to you, that's not normal. Um, and I hear that all the time from people who grew up in like in abusive, um, households, they just thought that that's what people did. Um, And that is what some people do, but it doesn't mean that it's healthy. I think um, along those lines, like when you're out in the world with your children and a variety of things happen, they see your reaction, right? So like if they, you know, you hear that someone else was, you know, sexually abused as a child, they're monitoring your reaction and they're seeing how you respond to that and what you would hope they Mm -hmm. would do. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of times where things are, are um, transmitted. I, I had some person who their young person came out to them as queer. And the parent was like, how do I let them know, um, you know, that I'm affirming of this? And, and the thought in my head is like, well, you probably already have. Like, you probably yeah. already have transmitted to them whether you're affirming of this or not. You yeah new opportunities to maybe change your story. But like if you have gay friends and you love them, you've probably transmitted to them that they're, you know, you're cool with it. And if you said judgmental things, they took that into. So I think that's the same thing about sexual messages. If, you know, if a friend of yours is being badly treated by their partner, um, you know, you're transmitting that information when you show disapproval and you encourage them to get out of it and your kid sees that or whatever. You yeah. Know? Yeah. There's a lot of ways to transmit information, I guess, is what we're getting at. So the, the last thing that I would say on this is, um, if you're sitting here and you're like, well, I haven't done any of that and, and I have teenagers right. now, what do I do? Um, I don't think it's ever too late to start. Um, and that you can say to your teenagers, um, Hey, 
I know that we have not really talked about this before, but I just want to mention, um, like, I really, I really care about who you care about and, uh, if you're dating somebody or not. And, um, and like, you know, making out with people is fun and kissing people is fun and sex is fun. And, um, we should talk about that sometime. Cause I want to make sure that you have, um, a good and healthy, um, you know, a good and healthy way to sort of be in relationships with people. Um, and, and I think you can also say to your teenager, like, Oh, this might be weird and it might be super awkward, but like, let me just say the things. Okay. I have to say the mom things or the dad things, the parent things. Um, and I have to name though, there is just a general, there is like a naturally occurring awkwardness in talking with your biological family about sex like that. Like there is, Oh yeah. There is a, like, most humans are not drawn to having sexual conversations with their parents, whether the parents are adults. And I mean, whether you're both adults or, I mean, like, and, and similarly, it's just not a natural topic with your children in some way. Right. Yeah. Um, But, you know, push through that and have, hopefully have some healthy conversations, but like, it's not like you're going to, it isn't appropriate to talk to your child about your sex life. So there's like, there is like a naturally, you know, there are some boundaries there that are like um, something that makes this a little more challenging. And I think that's the reason the question comes up so often in part is that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, this is a really good question. And actually what, what you just said relates to um, (laughs) relates to our next question, which is. All right. This person writes, how do I come out to my kids as being queer? Well, what an appropriate question. I have teenagers and I am queer. So I'd be happy to answer that question, Leah. Yeah. How Um, did that work, Jen? Well, I mean, I think I had the benefit of being married to my wife for a number of years and then we had children together. And so just like anything else to my children, having two moms is pretty normal because that's what they've always had. So I don't know that I ever had to um, sit them down and tell them I was queer so much as like that was just their lived experience. I think um, in our family, I think it came up more with how do you, how do they choose to share that information with other people? Sure. Um, Them coming out to other people as having queer parents Um, but I'm, I'm like a lot of these questions, you sort of have to guess as to where the person was like what they're thinking when they're asking it. But I'm, I'm hearing maybe a question of more like the kids don't know that. And then that's new information, right? Like either the person is single or the person is partnered with somebody who's of the opposite gender. And then like, so it sounds like maybe new information, um, which is a different story than, than my story a little bit. Um, and one, I just want to name, I could have some empathy that that might be a challenging thing to share with your, the young people in your life. Um, I think that part of what I would hope the person would communicate is that being queer is not just about who you have sex with. And so I think that, um, I mean, I've used the word with one of my children, like it's who you feel that spark for. And like, 
I could never have sex again in my entire life. I'm still going to feel that spark for some woman. I, you know, like that is, that is how I am oriented. Just like you are oriented differently. Like that is just how the world works. So I don't think you're necessarily, I think it's good to remember. You're not just sharing with your child about like the logistics of who you'd like to have sex with. If you're telling them you're queer, you are telling them something much larger about yourself and expansive. Yeah. So it might include who you might want to have sex with, but like it is, it is a bigger picture thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. That's important to share, I think. Because um, I, I, the other thing I'm thinking about is I've heard people who are partnered with um, someone of the opposite gender, and they are bisexual, and they they question whether that's something important to share with people, including their children. What's your yeah, and what, and what do you say about that? I mean. I- it depends. I mean, I think uh, one thing I've heard is that people who are like partnered with someone of the opposite gender and that person of the opposite gender is the child's parent. I think telling them about your sexual orientation as being bisexual, I think the first fear is the child might hear that as you wanting to not be partnered with their parent, mm, right? Like yeah, um, that you're making changes in your life that include a different partner or something like that. I mean, my, my gut feeling on that one would be share it if it came up. Like, I don't know, but I don't know. I mean, I think for some people that's a really important identity and maybe they need their child. They want their child to know that about them. Yeah. Uh, But, but back to the original question, I would say, I don't think any time is too young because you're not actually speaking about a sex act. You're telling your child how you're, how, who you are and how you're oriented towards the world. So right. I think that, that like, there's no, there's no, like, I need to wait until they can handle material about actual sex. You could just tell them that, you know, if mommy had feelings for somebody, it would be another girl. You know, like, I think there's, there's an appropriate way to share that that's age appropriate all along the way. I'm sure that's scary though. Um, because there's also, I think anytime you tell someone you're queer, there's a fear of rejection based mm-hmm. in real lived experiences of people. So that's there too. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, and that reminder too, that you don't, you don't owe coming out to anybody, not even your kids, um, right. that happens. Um, people come out all the time. Um, and they do that or they don't do that for a variety of reasons. It's really complex. Um, and you're allowed to make choices about how you, how and when you do that. Um, two, though, I would really encourage people to um, like feel your fear and act anyway, instead of blowing up your life. Um you know, so often I think people get kind of paralyzed by the fear of rejection. Um, and so then they do something that forces the issue instead of just being super terrified to say the words out loud and then saying the words out loud. Um, and so I would, I would just, I would encourage people to, again, that phrase, feel your fear and act anyway. Um, say it instead of opting for acting on it and, and really like messing up your life in some way that, that causes like so much more drama and energy and everything than, than, than just saying it would, you know? 
I think a thing to think about too with your children, and this is like more general therapy thinking than it is sex related thinking is I think you, it would be good to try to avoid a situation where your child feels deceived by you. Oh yeah. Uh, that, yeah that's yeah, just not you. a good, a good, that can, that can long-term ramifications. If your child feels that there was something that other people knew about you, or perhaps that you were actively hiding, like, I think it's preferred that they don't feel deceived if at all possible. Agreed. Yeah. yeah agreed. I, I would also remind parents too, that, um, you have a whole life that, um, that doesn't pertain to your kids, right? Like we are, we are parents and, and we are so much more than parents. Um, and, and there's a whole bunch about your life that your kids don't know about and will never know about. I'm not saying that this is one of those things, but just to remind parents that like your, your kids don't actually have to know, nor should they know everything about your life. That's like the difference between a secret, something being a secret and something being private. That as an right. adult parent, you still are allowed to have things that are private. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. Um, oh, gosh, I think we could do a whole episode on that question alone. Okay. We could. Um, third question is a long one. Okay. okay. Uh, and it's to you specifically. Hey, Jen. I wanted to send you a note and say thank you for the way you and Leah approach sexual positivity in your God pod. Thank you, listener. Um, listening through has offered me some personal validation and how I navigate the world of relationships. If nothing else, it is wonderful to know I'm not the only one who thinks about these topics and has come to similar conclusions. One of the pieces I've been trying to discern is how to have sex positive conversations with my oldest who came out as trans in 2020. When it comes to sex related conversations, he makes it very clear that he plans to be the quote oldest living virgin, but it seems like that's because he does not yet have access to gender, uh, to gender affirming surgery. And so much conversation around physical relationships is about vaginas and penises. Uh, vaginas, vaginas, or penis, penis intercourse. Um, usually from the point of view of people who feel their physical bodies match, quote unquote, match their gender identity. Are there any resources, books, websites, whatever, that offer guidance and having sex positive conversations, especially regarding physical intimacy with someone who identifies as trans, but is too young or for some other reason, unable to have gender affirming surgery. Whew. That's a, there's a lot, that's in, a, there. there's a lot in there. Yeah. There's a lot also there. just good job parent. Um, mm -hmm. Like the, the fact, that, the, the fact that you know that your kiddo uh, plans to be the oldest living virgin um, tells me that you're talking about these things and that, um, and that they, and that they trust you enough to say that out loud. And I think that's really good. Yeah. So my, so as soon as I read this question, I was like, huh, I wonder if Jennifer, the sex therapist has ever dealt with this in the therapy room. Um, yes, 
I, yes, not exact, not this specific, not maybe a, a trans teen, but I think yeah. the, some things that like I could pull out of there and, and say that I've had some experience of is trans folks who have spoken to not feeling like the physical manifest their, their physical body and their gender expression feel like they match for them. Yeah. But I also like to say that I think there perhaps are some trans people who would not identify with that experience also. I mean, obviously this isn't my area of expertise, but like I think there are people who for whom gender affirming surgery is a must and there are people for whom that isn't as as affirming. Wouldn't be as affirming. So I think that's one thing. So I think one thing I, I, I would, maybe the parent has already had this conversation and mm-hmm. this teen wants to have gender affirming surgery. But I think one thing I would pause is that we make sure that's, that is what they want, right? Like there are people who identify as trans and that is not necessarily their wish. So that would be one thing. Like we're making the connection that this, this teen plans on being the oldest living virgin because they want to someday have gender affirming surgery. And at that point, their body will quote unquote match and maybe sex would be more. I think there's some assumptions in there. We might want to just make sure we're checking in with the teen and also that like every human and every teen, we all get to have an evolution and figure things out over time and know, like you might not know what you want exactly today. And you might know later, um, in a different way, you might understand what's true and real for you and what you want with your body. Um, I do. I also would, would definitely compliment this parent in the fact that just in, in all of the things they're saying, I do get the sense that they are really giving their teen a sense that their body is their body and that they have bodily autonomy and, and get to make statements about their gender and they get to, you know, uh, make choices about their body. And that's yeah. really wonderful. Um, I think uh, the one thing that came to mind when, with this question is actually a tangible resource, which is the book trans sex, um, which subtitle is it's by Lucy Fielding. Um, the, the subtitle of which is clinical approaches to trans sexualities and erotic embodiments, which is, it came to mind because that last phrase erotic embodiments, like that looks like a lot of different things for a lot of people. And really only that person will know what, what, what that's like. Right. Yeah. Um, But I do think the, the parent who's asking the question already has obviously educated themselves some about the trans experience, but Mm -hmm. that, as a parent who I don't believe identifies as a trans person, their their teen is always going to be more of an expert in that than they are. Yeah. And that's true for a lot of things. Like when we're talking, like the sense of when you when you're a parent talking to your young young person or teen about sex or sexuality, I feel like sometimes there's a sense that like we as the adult are the expert and they are the beneficiary of our information. And yeah. there are lots of situations where that's not true. I mean, if you're 
also a queer person and you have a straight parent and they're trying to share with you sexual information, no matter how much they educate themselves, you're going to be more of an expert on being queer than they are. And I think that that comes through to me in this question, that this trans teen is going to have more more embodied knowledge of what it's like to be a trans person than the parent ever will. Yeah. 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 And uh, honestly, like this question and some of the answers that are floating around in my head to this question, remind me of things that we've said in past episodes about how um, if, if we are only ever saying that um, vagina penis sex is the right way to have sex or or real sex, we're doing everybody a disservice. Everyone, we're, everyone, we're, everyone. We're especially doing a disservice um, to trans folks and to uh, to gender queer folks. Um, another thing that we've said on this podcast before, which I think applies here, is um, I really appreciate the change in language from sex toys to sex tools. Um, and that people need to remember that um, there are all kinds of um, tools that can be used as adaptive devices um, and that people have really, really um, personal relationships with the with the sex tools that they use and that and that people use those for lots of different reasons. And I think in this case, um, there might be some, some tools that this person might be able to use so that they can embody, um, so that they can be more in their body, um, when they're having sex. Um, because again, that connection between mind and body and sort of how we are and who we are and how we show up, um, when we're physically intimate with somebody. Um, okay. So I had one other thought, but I'm not exactly sure how to say it, but I'm going to try, which is, there are trans people who have had gender affirming care or uh, surgeries, gender affirming surgeries. And there are trans people who have chosen not to have gender affirming surgeries who are erotically embodied. Right. And yeah. the way that yeah. that is, is out in that information for those of us who aren't trans or out in the universe is there's plenty of pornography where yeah. Um, that is the that is the case, and I am not suggesting that this person tell their trans teen to go get some porn and watch it to know how to be erotically embodied. But but one could hold out some hope for the teen by being like, there are grown up trans people who have who who have satisfaction in their body in a variety of ways. So like, I think, yeah, I'm not saying this well, but I guess what I'm saying is like. They should have hope that even if they're not sure how that will work out for them now, that they're that could there there are other people who have gone that path and and seem to find joy in their bodies, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, and also like plenty of um, plenty of queer affirming um, resources out there to sort of help people figure that out. Um, yeah, in ways that are like good and healthy and not just. Um, well, I should say like, there are also plenty of resources out there that are where, where, um, where things are not good and healthy and you just end up being somebody's like, you know, somebody's, um, you know, somebody's unhealthy kink and that's not cool, but there are, there are good and healthy resources. There are. Yeah. Also, I think 
<clears throat> I'm sure there are particulars to being a trans teen, but I think there are lots of teens who like there's a disconnect between some of the feelings they're feeling in their body and their experience of their body and how having partnered sex with someone else is really going to work for them. Like, I don't think that's a, that I don't, that is an experience that I have heard lots of different teens express. Like they're not sure how it's all going to work and you know what they're going to like and all that kind of stuff. And it works out eventually. Like there are lots of people, it, it's a part of the process, like figuring out who you are in that way. Yeah. And, and definitely being mindful of um, how the person that you're with is reacting. And if they're being, um, if they're being supportive and affirming of you, amazing. If they're being demeaning of you, not amazing. Um, they need to be kicked to the curve right now. Thank you. Yes. Amen. That oh, was a tough one. I, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much here. I would. Um, so the follow-up question that I have for you as a therapist is like, if people are having, um, if people are really disconnecting from their bodies, when they're having sex. And I would imagine that that's the fear for this person. Are there, are there concrete things that people can do to reconnect with their bodies? I mean, I think um, just taking that question as a general question, right. Yeah. Cause it happens to lots of people. I mean, I do, I do think it may sound like a cheesy suggestion, but I think other ways of feeling embodied, exercising, yoga, you know, um, meditating and doing a body scan, like other ways of feeling embodied can help that things that are not specifically sexual, but that mm-hmm. help with embodiment can be helpful in those, in those moments. Sure. So, yeah, I think also like one last thought that comes to mind is oftentimes we do get other information from being in community with people that we relate to. And so, you know, I don't know if it's uh, possible, but connecting this teen with other people that are having a similar lived experience could be really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, You know, are there, um, is there a support group for other trans teens um, in your area? Is there a is there an LGBTQ community center that might have that might have like a youth group for um, for queer teens, um, trans teens, or in in particular? It would be a great way for people to connect, right? Because. <laughs> Because in the absence of our parents, where did we all learn about sex? Right. That's what I'm thinking. You learned about it from your friends. Um, That's right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Continuing in that grand tradition. That Um, grand tradition. Go find some friends that might have, you know, have some knowledge or or experience that they could share that would be helpful. If nothing else, then they won't feel like, you know, they won't feel as much like they're the only person having this lived experience. Right. And hopefully, hopefully people will be kind and generous. Unlike your jerk friend who was like, what do you mean you don't know what a boner is? <laughs> I mean, I think she was just shocked, but yes, yes. <laughs> hopefully your friends will, will answer your questions and not make you feel like a giant alien evangelical. Yes. Um, okay. 
So we've ended every episode this season with a couple of questions. Yeah. Um, the first one of which is, where are you experiencing joy? Where are you experiencing joy, Leah? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things about this time of year is that you can call this toll-free number at the University of Illinois. It's called Dial a Carol. And there are real live college students who will sing whatever carol you want to hear. Um, and I think they're still open today. In fact, oh no, gosh, I think they closed yesterday. Like by, by the time you all hear this, they will be closed. But next year they will be open again. Um, and I love Dial a Carol so much. I always call... Um, there's always a point in early December where I get super, super, super sad. And I call Dial a Carol and I ask them to sing, have yourself a merry little Christmas. And in my head, right? Like I'm envisioning that it's going to sound like Judy Garland. And then it's some like sophomore boy from Winnetka who's singing off t- off, off key. And it makes me laugh so hard. And, uh, and, and I love it so much. So Dial a Carol is bringing me joy. What about you? Well, um, as you know, I live in Midtown Manhattan, um, which often doesn't bring me joy, to be honest. The yeah. number, of but um, during the holiday season, um, if I'm in a relatively good mood and I go outside, there are so many people who come into Midtown Manhattan just to have like the Christmas experience. You know, like yeah. the lights, the tree, the all of that, and like if I can be in the right headspace and just walk where I'm going and look around, I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, you know, 12 foot light candy canes or what I, you know, like it is really beautiful. Um, my family members will tell you, I also complain about the great numbers of people that come into midtown Manhattan to have the Christmas experience, but it is (laughs) really, um, it is really, it really is fantastic and beautiful and very, um, It's like you feel nostalgic, but you're not exactly sure for what. It's just like this Mm -hmm. weird, happy Christmas experience. So, yes, I'm I am experiencing joy in that. What about hope? Where are you seeing hope, Leah? Mm. I I don't know about you. I could use some hope. So where are you seeing hope? Yeah, um, I started reading um, Vivek Murthy's book on loneliness. Mm. And um, it's really, gosh, it's really thought provoking. Um, And it's really practical in so many ways. And I like, I like practicality. Um, His suggestions of connecting with somebody for 15 minutes every day, somebody who you don't live with um, and also practicing solitude, which is different than loneliness, um, Mm -hmm. but having some like time to tend to your interior life. Um, There's one more tip that I'm not going to remember, but just that book um, is it's given me some hope, which is a, a good thing. What about you? Um, I was listening to a podcast with Christian Wyman, uh, the poet um, who has had, I don't know if it's terminal cancer, but very serious cancer for many years, but um, just speaks so um speaks so beautifully um, to the human experience of like our limitations. I'm going to double dip and say the other weird thing that gives me hope 
is I've been listening to Anderson Cooper's podcast on grief. Yeah, tell me about that. Both of those sound very much like they could make you sad, but actually both um, I found really hope filled. Um, Anderson Cooper, um, the ones I've listened to, at least he's like interviewing people about their experiences with grief. Yeah. There's something about like the humanness of it and the variety of ways that people experience deep grief um, that makes it like not as scary somehow or mm-hmm. more universal. I don't know. Gives me, gives me hope. Well, um, I think that we just finished season one. Did we? I think we did. Did we do that? I think we did. Thank you for doing this with me, Leah. I really, I really have enjoyed it and I'm glad you encouraged me to do it. And I'm looking forward to season two. Yeah, it's been, um, this has been so much fun to do. And also just the, the number of like messages that we've gotten from people who have said, thank you so much for doing this podcast. It's what I really needed or, uh, you know, or people who are like, it's just so great to hear two pastors talk about this stuff. Um, uh, people who have referred it to friends, um, the uh, congregant who's like, I made my mom listen to your podcast. Like all of that um, is just really, really good. So please, yeah. please continue to send in your questions. It's a big part of what makes the, sh- the podcast interesting and hopefully relevant. So please do that. Also let us know if there are people who you would like for us to have on the podcast. Um, we would, um, we would love your suggestions because it would be interesting to hear who you would like to have us talk with. So friends, thank you so much for listening to the sex positive God pod where progressive pastors answer your sex and relationship questions. Um, this is the Reverend Leah Roberts Moser and my friend, the Reverend Jennifer all thanks for listening to season one and check back in, in June, 2024 for season two. Take care, everybody. Bye.